0: Mothers are the greatest influence that we have in our lives, actually, for many years after we're born. We dads learn to accept that fact because mothers come first, don't they? Come on, guys, help me out, be honest. Mothers come first. We don't always like it, but we do accept it. And the truth of the matter is that mothers have given themselves so completely that they carried us for nine months and have served us continually ever since then. My wife is, is an example of, of, a, of a woman that has a servant's heart. And she has served her children, served her family, serving her grandchildren now, served me. She gets great delight and joy out of doing that. And, and I, I, I truly do believe there is no higher calling for a lady than to be a mother. I think motherhood was ordained before the church was ever created. And therefore, any roles relative to the church have to take a secondary role to that of motherhood. In the creative order, God existed first, marriage came second, motherhood came third, and somewhere down the line came the church. And I think that mothers have been profound in their impact on society for good, Um. Some of us didn't have that experience, as I said, but I have observed it in others. I did have a grandmother that filled in that role and became mother and grandmother to me. And I want to say today that I honor you ladies and love you more than you can ever imagine. We all do. And not just this day. Having only one day a year to remember our mothers is kind of like worshiping God only on Sunday. If that's the only time you think about him or her (laughs) on Mother's Day, you're missing out on the value and importance that mothers really have in society, and I personally think our society has made a huge mistake, and I say this because I sense on this day particularly the fact that that women and their roles have, have been denigrated and made to be less significant by a lot of things that happen in culture when the truth of the matter is they've continued to serve right there on the front lines and have been everything they always were to us. Only perhaps society doesn't recognize it like it once did. I received a letter and it was on my desk and um, I opened it this morning. It was from an inmate that used to come to church here uh, some years ago who became a very well-known rap store, signed a $30 million contract, was very well known in this area, and then in an altercation shot and killed somebody and ended up in prison. And he wrote a letter to me to talk about how that God had gotten a hold of his life again and, and he had found the Lord and renewed his commitment to God after a so far away. And I was glad to to hear that. And then He went on to include a poem he wrote to his mother, and a sweet poem, and how much she had meant to him, and how much she had done for him through the years. Truth of the matter is, a lot of things in life blind us to these very important facts when we have the opportunity to appreciate them, and it isn't sometimes until later that we realize what we've overlooked and the value of it. Amen. I think we men have made a huge mistake to begin to allow our ladies to be regarded as mere sex objects. I really do. Amen. I'm on date myself right now, but I think our society has made a very grievous error that has been one of the most catastrophic and destructive things that's ever happened to our nation and other nations when men begin to recall or look at women and call them bitches and hoes and shawties, and a sign of how much damage it's done is that some of you are more upset that I just used the word than that others are using it every day in our society. Amen. Amen. And losing regard for the role of motherhood has been extremely detrimental, and I honor you ladies. Bless you. Thank you so much for occupying what I believe and respect to be the highest and most important office in our nation. And you say, what's that? Well, just let me say, trust me, it is not the presidency. Amen. Amen. It's a role you feel. And I honor you. I will soon in this series be preaching to men and women, both, and to families. So having opened my my message today and my time with you by devoting my first five minutes to Ladies, I hope that you will allow me to move on and now preach with you in mind. Amen. And honoring this is your day. There are some things we need to get back. And I am contending, like the Bible said, for the faith once delivered to the saints, that we would have some things restored back to us that are precious. And most of those things, actually, when you stop and think about it, were taught to us by our mothers. And the fact that I contend for them today, I think if anybody's glad for that, it would be the ladies in this building, because incumbent in their role to raise children is to instill in them values, and part of those values are what I'm talking about right now. They begin, as Pastor Donnie said, with prayer. He talked about Abraham Lincoln said that he never was able to get away from the prayers of his mother. And that has certainly been the case with me with my grandmother's prayers. And this young man that I mentioned, that I read his letter just before walking into the service this morning, that was obviously the case with him as well and many, many others. I want us to pray, and I'd like for our ladies to please stand. All of our mothers, especially if they would stand, Because I think, guys, that I I, I don't know who you pray for. I'm sure you pray for your family, for your wife, and you pray for your nation. But these ladies standing here right now are what we had better keep elevated in our society. Amen. And we need to give them honor and we need to pray God's grace upon them. And so, ladies... We men salute you. Would you lift your hands with me, men, and just say we bless every one of them. Say it, guys. We bless every one of them. We honor them today, and we pray that heaven will open over their lives and that this will be the greatest day that they've ever lived. Amen. Thank you so much, and you may be seated. Amen. We love you. Everyone enjoys being blessed, but as I have stressed in this series, there is a huge difference in being blessed and in living an extraordinarily blessed life. Speaking of mothers, you turn to the book of Proverbs, and you will find that the mother of Solomon was greatly concerned that her son would not just be blessed, but have an extraordinarily blessed life. And he begins to talk about some of the things that she had taught him that contributed to the fact that Solomon, of all of the Old Testament kings, was unrivaled in his glory and his magnificence. Jesus said it. Jesus declared there was not another that was like Solomon in terms of his glory. As we have studied the difference in living a being blessed and living an extraordinarily blessed life, it has led us to talk about what happens when we apply the Word of God to our lives, for as we have been looking at the last few weeks, this in turn creates in us the character of God. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit, as we pointed out, actually is. It is the character of God that is being formed in our hearts as we are transformed in our thinking and in our emotions by His Word. That in turn, as we have pointed out as well, causes something else that is wonderful to occur. It makes us experience the reality of the power of God. And when the character of God is formed within us, when the power of God is at work within us, it always leads to an extraordinarily blessed life and not just a blessing. The absence of those two things, that is, the character of God within us or the power of God within us, either one of those two, not be present within us, we are reduced as believers to seeking blessings. When it was never God's will that we seek blessings, He said, these blessings shall overtake you. The Bible described they stayed in a position of existence in life where that we would not need to search for blessings, but that, as Trey here likes to say to me sometimes, may blessings chase you down. Amen. Heard about a little girl or ask her mother, if God is bigger than us and he lives inside of us, wouldn't he show through? You'd think so. Amen. Both God's character and His unsurpassed favor should be evident in our lives as believers if we adhere to the teaching and principles of His Word. And so we've been using as a text Psalms chapter 1 that I won't bother to read today because I want to stay on time about the tree that's planted by the water that describes the man that delights in the Word of God. And then in Psalms 92 We read about those planted in the house of the Lord that flourish in the courts of our God. And uh, I remind you that flourish means to blossom like a flower. Today, I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, a scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. That's now the third time they are told that. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. After 70 years of being in captivity and bondage and not experiencing God's favor but rather hardship and slavery, God's people, according to God's promise, had returned home and rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. Led by Nehemiah and Ezra, they had successfully completed this project and as part of the celebration that this had been done, the Word of God was read that whole morning until noon and nobody sat down, everybody stood to reverence the reading of the Word of God, which is why sometimes I might have you stand as I read the scripture. It it stems from this verse right here, this passage. But as the Word of God was being read, the people burst into tears and began to weep in mourning. Why? I believe they were crying because upon hearing the word of God, they realized the 70 years of captivity they had just gone through and suffered should never have been experienced by them at all. As the word was being read, it occurred to them that these promises that God put in his word that they were now hearing recited as they were standing at attention and in reverence to God's word they began to recognize that what God actually had planned for them was completely different than what they had just gone through. And they began to mourn. And this is when Ezra and Nehemiah stood and said, Wait, time out. Now's not the time for mourning because you're not in captivity. What's done is done. The past is the past. And what you can do now is take away from what you have experienced a very positive lesson that will make certain that you and your descendants never go through this experience again. And as he began to tell them this, there was an eruption of joy that occurred. And as the people began to rejoice, this was the statement that Ezra and Nehemiah made do not sorrow for this joy that you see breaking out right now the joy of the lord that is your strength you want to be strong this is what makes you strong it's joy amen i want to talk about flourishing because i have god's joy in my heart this morning father i'll ask you to speak a word now to us as i always do every sunday And cause your scripture to become illuminated in our hearing and allow it to work its work of transformation in our lives that we can experience this progression of word that transforms, that builds character, that in turn releases God's power within us, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. First John 3 and 2 again, beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I have been contending that that verse really does not have eschatological interpretation assigned to it. You can assign it yourself, and it won't do violence. That is to say that when people say that's talking about Christ returning, it doesn't hurt to say it. But that's not really what it's saying. What it means is when we see Him as He is revealed to us in His Word, that in turn is what initiates this, trans- this transformation and we become like Him. What will that look like is the question that I have been asking these previous Sundays as I have mentioned the character of God. I have then moved into teaching what is this character, what does it look like, what does it mean, and that's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about in the book of Galatians. Paul is making the connection between us being transformed as believers and taking on the character of Christ, which in turn causes the fruit of the Spirit to be developed within us. That's the character of God. And remember what I told you at the first of the year, that fruit is the delivery mechanism for the propagation of a species. The character of God formed within us is what causes the church to multiply. The absence of God's character within believers causes the church to become stagnant in its growth, and it does not appeal to people. Somewhere along the way, some people have found that when they study the Bible, that what interests and appeals to them is the dogma of Scripture. Have you ever noticed that the more Bible some people get, the more dogmatic and judgmental they become? They use the Bible and what they learned as a club to put everybody else in their place, while at the same time making sure you know they are the experts. Amen. If studying the Bible only causes us to become more rigid in our dogma and develops in us character that does not reflect the heart of God, our Savior, we have not received what God intended for us to get from our study of the Word. Reminded of the the words of the well-known theologian that I quoted to you once long ago, Paul Tillich, who once, when someone was very dogmatic approached him and angrily shook the Bible in Mr. Tillich's face and demanded, do you believe that this is or is not the word of God, Mr. Tillich? Mr. Tillich, the theologian, answered, no, if you have it, but yes, if it has you. And I have to say I agree that the truth taken by people to demonstrate how smart they are or to make them more rigid and judgmental in terms of their dogma, is not really the spirit that is behind the Bible. Amen. At the same time, I'll say that is also true of worship. Worship that doesn't produce life change within us has not accomplished all it had the potential to produce in us either. Just going to church on Sunday and worshiping and not being changed is not what church attendance is all about. It's about creating in us the character of God as we see Him. As we see Him, we become like Him. We see Him in Scripture. As we study, we see Him in worship as He is high and lifted up. The end result, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. Amen. This is what produces in us The fruit of the Spirit. We've already talked about the first, that's love. And today I want to talk about the second one, joy. The joy that Nehemiah mentioned. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let's look at joy. Because God's joy is not only one of the fruits of the Spirit as Nehemiah stated, He also stated, it is our strength. See if you believe this or not. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. A gloomy Christian is actually an oxymoron. An oxymoron is two words you put together that have opposite meaning and therefore cancel one another out. Somebody said, like military intelligence or presidential leadership, or congressional action. You understand what I'm saying here. One of America's greatest jurists, Chief Justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, said, "'I might have entered the ministry "'of certain clergymen I knew had not looked "'and acted so much like undertakers.'" The truth is Christianity has been hijacked by a theology that we're all supposed to be gloomy, sad sack looking, pessimistic and negative talking people who are suffering for Jesus until we can either die and go to heaven or until we get raptured and escape all this mess. Amen. And as a result of that kind of theology, most of us, most believers probably do not really have what Nehemiah was describing as the joy of the Lord, even though it is available. And you can hear it in our conversation. We complain too much. Like the guy that entered the monastery of silence, and the head of the monastery came to him and said, Brother John, this is a silent monastery. You're welcome here as long as you like, but you may not speak until I direct you to do so. I will have a meeting with you once a year, and at that time you are permitted to speak only two words. And John agreed. So he lived there a full year before the head of the monastery came to him and said, Brother John, you have now been here for one full year. You may speak your two words. And Brother John said, hard bed. The abbot said, I'm sorry to hear that. We'll get you a better bed. The next year, Brother John was called by the abbot. You may say another two words, Brother John. Cold food, said John. John. And the abbot assured him that the food would be better in the future. On his third anniversary at the monastery, the abbot again called Brother John into his office and said, today you may speak two more words. And John said, I quit. And the abbot said, well, it's probably best. All you've done is complain ever since you got here. Amen. (laughs) You ever meet people like that? And they're Christians, and we're supposed to be advertising Jesus is that the character of God. Needless to say, Christians haven't always been the greatest advertisement for Christianity, have we? Amen. So what does it mean for the joy of the Lord to be our strength? Let's first understand what the Bible is referring to when it speaks of joy. Big clue. Big clue coming here. Joy is not happiness. The word happily actually comes from an old English, Middle English word for happen or hap, and that word originated from a Norse or Scandinavian word happen, H-E-P-P-I-N, that meant chance, luck, or fortune, and it refers to your circumstances. So the idea is that when people are happy, they're happy because their fortune is good. They've got good luck. Circumstances are great, right? Amen. Their happenings are what they would like for them to be. Joy has absolutely nothing to do with luck or fortune or even with circumstances. In fact, joy isn't even the result of an absence of difficulty. Because I know people who have no difficulty and still do not have joy. On the other hand, I know people who have more trouble than you can imagine and yet are full of joy that is bubbling over. Amen. Joy doesn't mean you're not facing opposition. And certainly that was the case when Nehemiah and Ezra addressed this matter with Israel upon their return. They had been opposed by Sanballat. They had been opposed by by all of those that were trying to keep them from succeeding in their task, but they had joy. They had joy in spite of the opposition. The word for joy in Scripture means to be glad or to rejoice. Say the word rejoice with me. Delight, hope. Do you know the Bible mentions joy over 330 times? And happiness is only mentioned 26 times. Clearly, the disproportionate number of times joy is mentioned is obviously significant. Here's a definition for joy based upon the Hebrew word and Greek word that I gave you the translation of a while ago. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And that joy cannot help but bubble over. While most of us might mistake the definition of joy for that of happiness, I would venture to say just because we might not know its definition doesn't mean that we don't know it when we see it. Because I would bet every single person here, including people that are unsaved who are not here, recognize the difference in happiness and joy. I'm going to show you a video, and it's going to sound look silly at first. But when I get done, I want to explain something to you. This is Tommy Franklin from Australia's Got Talent. Now you think I've really flipped out. (laughs) But you know me well enough to know I'm going somewhere with this. It's the story behind this. Because you see, he wasn't dancing for them, he was dancing for the Lord. As a teenager, he got strung out with gangs and on drugs and alcohol, and at the age of 16, was run over by a car on his skateboard that almost took his life. And after two weeks in intensive care, he came to and decided to give his heart to God. And he was so filled with the Holy Spirit that when he would go to church, this is what he would do in the back of the church. Now, I don't recommend you doing this, but did you notice the reaction of the crowd that started out like, oh, who is this jerk up there, you know, this idiot is going to make a fool out of you. even when he starts dancing? But there was something bubbling out of him that was communicated at another level than what you were seeing with your eyes. And that made an immediate connection with everybody in that audience. What is missing from Christianity is not doctrine. It's not dogma, it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength that we need to find again. We need to be filled with the joy of God. Somebody in the building shout hallelujah. Amen. And so it got to the place that dancing in church wasn't enough. So he'd dance on the streets, (laughs) dance at a mall, wherever he was. He just, when he stopped and thought about the goodness of God, he just broke out into a dance. And of course, everybody there thought exactly what you thought until they felt what was coming from the inside. And then somebody said, why don't you go try out for Australia's Got Talent? And believe it or not, he actually moved up to the next level. (laughs) I couldn't do that if I had a fever Amen (laughs) But I can have joy That's available to every believer To be so filled with God's joy That it just oozes out of every pore And bubbles out of you And touches people around you Because that's what the world is really looking for can I hear somebody again say amen? amen. Like I said, I don't advocate everybody go out into the mall and do this. You do this on the sidewalk like he, like, he, like he did there. He was known to do in the little town where he was raised. You do that. Don't be surprised if they don't send some guys in, in white coats to pick you up. Amen. And one other thing, he did this in back of the church where he would not distract people from their worship of God. Just thought I'd point that out. Because some people in their worship want everybody to see them rather than the God that they're representing. That's not real joy either. Amen. But this to me is a whole lot, a sight better in fact Than what I see in many believers who walk around looking like they kissed a Mack truck doing 80 miles an hour. Come on, help me out. Am I telling you the truth or not? And one reason that we've lost joy is we have thought it was about circumstances. Look at what happens when you allow circumstances to cause you to seek happiness rather than joy. It happened to no less a person than John the Baptist. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. The record of the ministry of John the Baptist is in the Scripture, one of the most amazing stories the Bible tells. He only ministered six months. And in six months, turned a nation upside down for God. Everybody came to hear him to be baptized. He preached. Huge crowds gathered without The aid of a microphone, he preached to thousands and thousands. Baptized him by the hour in the muddy waters of Jordan. And then came the day when he looked up on the shore and saw in the crowd Jesus standing there. And immediately cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And John went on to further declare that from that moment his ministry should decrease. And that man there, his ministry should increase. The Lamb of God should take the center stage. John even baptized Jesus. And shortly thereafter, just as John himself had prophesied, his ministry did begin to wane because he made Herod very angry when he preached against Herod taking his brother's wife for his wife, which he had done. And in today's world, you want to get in prison? You want to get your head served up on a platter? Dare to speak against immorality. Dare to. I dare you. Whether it's bathrooms you use or anything else, dare to say a word. And you are open game. You've got a bullseye painted on your back. Wham! They threw him in prison. Slammed the door shut. And then came the day that Herod was having a party and probably was highly intoxicated And his wife, the very one that had been married to his brother that he had stolen from her, came up to him and said, I've got a special treat. And she had been grooming her daughter for this moment. And her daughter came out and began to dance and Herod in his drunken state. And these drunken men there watching this girl leered in their lust for her. She was probably scantily clad, danced provocatively, and Herod turned to his wife and said, whatever you ask for, I'll give it. I actually was saying it to the daughter. You tell her whatever she wants, I'll give it to the half of my kingdom. And the mother consulted with the daughter and sent the daughter back to say, we want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod was sorry, the Bible said, that he had made the mistake of becoming so intoxicated that he lost his judgment. But because of his oath, the scripture says, and because of those who were there. Is that a statement about peer pressure and its effect on society today? Knowing he was doing wrong and would get in trouble with God. But because of those who were there, he sent and had John the Baptist beheaded. And shortly thereafter, they came bringing a platter with John the Baptist's head on it. Amen. Terrible, terrible thing. Just before John was in prison, though, something happened. John began to look at his circumstances, and it was at this low place in life. His ministry in eclipse and waning. And then the reaction to the sermon he had preached, just before... He is to be executed. All of these things are now in his mind. And he sends two of his disciples to find Jesus. The very man who had said, behold the Lamb of God. And I must decrease, but he must increase. He sends two disciples to find Jesus and ask them, are you the one that we should look for or should we seek for another? Are you the one? He now has questions. The reason that he had questions was he stopped having joy and started having happiness that was dependent upon circumstances. And when you stop having joy, it creates questions in your mind that you can't find an answer to. And if I could tell our young people anything before they go off to college. Just got an email this week from a young lady, a member of this church, graduating right away from university with her degree, prestigious university here in Houston, thanking me for the fact that I had preached so often to her and others in her youth group about be strong in spite of, of, of peer pressure and what you hear when you're away in a classroom. And she's maintained her relationship with God, walking out of there with a degree and just wanted to say, Pastor, thank you. That changed my life. Amen. And that blessed me so very, very much. Because circumstances cannot be controlled you have no control over them. They can be good one day and bad the next. The fortunes of life, the vicissitudes of life, they ebb, they flow. They're, they're, you are high one day, you're low the next. And now in this low state, languishing in a darkened dungeon, John is questioning what he himself with conviction had declared, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And do you know that Jesus did not even answer his question directly? And this is why you have to listen to what I'm saying. Jesus didn't say, go tell John. Oh, yes, I'm the one. He, in fact, he ignored those disciples and kept on ministering the whole day until when he finished, he then turned to them and said, go tell John. Notice this is not the answer to John's question. Are you the one or should we look for another? He said, just go tell John what you have seen that the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. You see, God will not always answer your questions. Because if you get hung up on circumstances and happenings, sometimes questions can't help you anyway. The real issue is to get your joy back. Amen. And this is what blows my mind, and I want to close with this in just a few moments. After these two disciples leave, saying, boy, that was strange. He didn't really answer our questions. He said, just go tell John what we've seen. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll play along. We'll go do that. After they had walked out from the crowd and returned and began their journey back home to return to John, Jesus then turns to the crowd and begins to talk about John and says, of all of those born among women, there was not a greater than John the Baptist. And he begins to say glowing things about John. Elevates him, his ministry. There was not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. On and on. And here is my point. John was not there to hear it. And neither were his two disciples. They had already left. Sometimes you don't get to hear what God really is saying about you. Amen. Amen. And I've wondered how encouraging would it have been to John in the middle of his despair if his disciples had rushed back and said, wow, John, do you know what just happened? We did what you asked. We went to Jesus and asked him, was he the one? And you know what he said? Right there in front of the crowd while we were standing there, he said, there was not a greater born among women than John the Baptist. He was talking about you, man. You. Do you hear that? John never got to hear it. The disciples that he sent didn't get to hear it either. Jesus intentionally waited until they were gone. Why? Because God will not accommodate your desire to build your life upon happenings when he knows that what you really need is the joy of the Lord in your heart because that can never be shaken. Amen. Six quick lessons we can learn from this story will help us with our joy. Number one, be joyful because you are doing better than you think you are. Turn to somebody and say, you are doing better than you think you are. Tell them, be joyful. Amen. Get your dance on. Amen. Yeah. Get a little salty rain going. You're doing better than you think you are. What do I mean by that? John thought it was terrible. I'm in this dungeon. Things are so dark and gloomy and it's awful and and I've been forgotten by God. No, John, you're doing better than you realize. If you could have heard Jesus talk about you, man, you would have put your shoulders back, walked up to that guillotine and never, never complained a moment. But you don't know how well you're doing, John. That in the eyes of God, you really are, have made a difference. There's a book written the way up from down by... A doctor named Slagle and the book is on about how to overcome depression and and the, the the thesis of the book is that depression is caused by by a depletion of some of the vital hormones and chemicals in our body and when these chemicals are depleted the brain's function becomes distorted and um, the most common of these of these particular uh, chemicals are or some that we've all heard about serotonin and 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 norepinephrine uh, noref- epinephrine, and uh through amino acids and vitamin supplements and and rest and the proper diet and medication you can rebuild this that is de- depleted in your brain and stop the brain from, from as it were working with distorted mechanisms and 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 you can help address this depression that you have. But then in the book, the author goes on to point out, however, if you continue habitual negative thought patterns, you will severely undermine the whole treatment. And goes on to say in the next paragraph, persistent negative attitudes can lead to constriction and bondage, whereas consistent positive thoughts and expectations create expansion and freedom. Someone has said we suffer because we don't see things the way they are, but as we are. Again, we can only learn to see differently by wanting to see differently. A medical doctor says yes Depression is caused by the depletion of vital chemicals. But you can take all of the vitamins, get all the rest, have the proper diet, and be on medication. But if you don't correct the thinking that got you there in the first place, it won't help you with your situation. You undermine your own treatment and therapy. Oh, let me talk to somebody right now. You've got to conquer your thoughts and bring them into captivity. Don't you allow yourself the luxury of negative thoughts. John, come on, man. You've got the joy of the Lord. Don't start looking at circumstances now. And if I could say anything to someone in this room that would help him, it would be this. Don't look at what's going on. Keep your focus on God. Amen. You've got him inside and you're doing better than you really think you are. Number two, be joyful because you actually matter more than you think you do. Because many of us in life, in the middle of difficult circumstances, begin to question our own value and worth. I I used to enjoy listening to a guy named Tony Campolo, who's an author and preacher. And he said that one time when his wife Peggy was at home full-time, this is a word to mothers as well, raising their children, she had chosen to be a stay-at-home mom, and he made enough money they could do that. And when they would go to a social function, someone would ask her, what is it you do, my dear? And she would respond. I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And then she would ask the other person, and what do you do? You matter more than you think you do, mothers. Dad, you matter more than you think you do. Believer, you matter more than you think you do. Number three, be joyful because you're stronger than you realize. (laughs) Yes, you are. Endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it around into glory. To walk through it and somehow transform what the enemy meant for evil into something that brings glory to God. Boy, That's what real endurance is all about. In our text, Nehemiah and the people of God had faced the opposition of the enemy. It wasn't easy, but God got glory out of their having joy when others would have become discouraged. Here's what you need to know. The bigger the obstacle you face, the greater the glory God receives when you keep on rejoicing. I need to say that again. The greater the problem you face, the greater glory God gets out of it when you keep on rejoicing in the middle of it. That's why you hear about people like the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace because they kept on rejoicing. Or Daniel in the lion's den, and the list goes on and on and on. Because when you face things in this world, that other people are facing, and their knees buckle, and you keep on dancing like Tommy Franklin, Salty Rain, amen. You knew I was coming back to that. Come on. Amen. And you might not be dancing literally, but you're dancing on the inside. Y'all know what I mean? Amen. And you've got joy, and they look at you and wonder, what is it about you that you act this way when I am so devastated, and I'm not going through a fraction of what you're going through? What is it about you? And that's whenever our joy begins to communicate. And like all of those people in that audience, including the judges that at first were, oh, yeah, right. You know, and the joy begins to spill out. And the next thing you know, it's not what we're saying or what we're doing. It's the connection with what we have inside that begins to move people. People ask me, how do I witness? And I always say, don't even worry about it. Just t- tell people how good God has been to you. Amen. Be real. Don't hide the truth from them. You've been through some stuff, don't don't hide it. And just keep on smiling and saying, but God brought me out. Because that's what touches people. Amen. Number four, be joyful because it isn't just about you either. It isn't. We get this feeling when things are going bad that, oh my God, I'm at the end of my rope here. Nobody's suffering like I'm suffering. Do you know how many people have told me that? Seriously, as a pastor, I can't even count the number of times that people have told me nobody has ever gone through what I've gone through. Really. I tell them I can think of one who can. Who? Well, a little clue. He's got some holes in his hands. Amen. You can keep your joy because it isn't just about you. Psalms 33, 20 through 22, we're depending on God. Say that. We're, say it again, we're, who are you depending on? We're depending on God. He's everything we need. What's more, our hearts brim with joy. That's a colorful expression because a cup has a brim. A pot has a brim. A saucer has a brim. And it means you're as full as you can get when you're up to the brim. Our hearts brim with joy since we've taken for our own His holy name. Love us, God, with all you've got. That's what we're depending on. Not dependent upon me, I'm dependent upon Him. Did you notice that it is the joy of the Lord? It's the joy of the Lord that is your strength. It's not your joy, it's His. It's God's joy in you. To have God's joy suggests that you have joy over things that give him joy. And I told you, that means you have to realize it's not just about you. There are other things out there, and it implies that you have made matter to you what matters to him. And that because you also have his agenda, his objectives, and his vision, and you desire what he desires, you also have his joy over these things because he has now shared his joy with you and put his joy in your heart. Hear what I'm telling you when when I say that is far superior to happiness. Would you just lift your hands and say, God, fill me with your joy. Joy. I'm closing. When you make matter to you what matters to God, He'll give His joy to you. Listen to this, Psalms 45, 7. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. When did God anoint us with the oil of joy? When we made matter to us what mattered to Him. Number five, John could have benefited if he understood that he should be joyful because God was not through with him yet. And God is not through with you yet either. Amen. God wasn't through with John. In fact, he's not through with him till this day because I'm still talking about John 2,000 years later. And God is still using his story to help others. I think of somebody else in the Bible that made the mistake of allowing circumstances to rob them of joy and replace it with happiness. And happiness is always short-term because it depends upon happenings and happenings are always changing. And that's Naomi. Naomi had moved with her family from Bethlehem, house of bread, in a famine, to Moab. I used to think that she got on a trailways bus and continental bus or something and and traveled for three days to get there. The first time I went to Israel, I was shocked to find out Moab was only 18 miles away. You don't have to move far to get out of the will of God. I see people do that all the time, even leave churches leave cities, family, get out of the will of God just because somebody gives you a quarter, an hour more or something. And it cost them marriages. Just two weeks ago, stood in this altar and wept with a young man who lost his marriage because he moved to the other side of town and left the church. And now he and his wife are not together. He was heartbroken. I said, son, always keep God first. Always keep God first. He said, I've learned that now, pastor. But there's some lessons too expensive to learn. And do you know that when Naomi was in Moab, she lost her husband and her sons. Her sons had both married. And this is this story that inspires the book that is named after one of her daughter-in-laws, the book of Ruth. Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem now. I've lost everything. Got out of the will of God and lost it all. I'm going home. Naomi means pleasant. Orpha said, I'm going with you, and so did Ruth, but they got to the border, and Naomi said, girls, I don't have any more sons for you. You go on home, and Orpha turned around, but Ruth said, don't ask me to leave you, because where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people, and my, your God will be my God, and they show up at Bethlehem all these years later, and the famine's over, because you see, what makes people get out of the will of God is a happening. Famine didn't last forever. Circumstances don't last forever. Naomi thought God was through with Bethlehem, and now she thinks God's through with her because when she comes home and she greets the people, they said, Naomi, is that you? And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. That's actually what she said. Amen. But was God through with her? No. No. Because by the end of that week, that girl Ruth that came with her would be engaged to the most wealthy landowner in that whole community. And they would end up getting married and give Naomi a son to raise as though it had been her own. I want to tell you that when everything is dark, if you've got the joy of the Lord inside of you, it'll keep you going on. And God's not through with you yet. And speaking of that grandson, you know what happened? He got married and they had kids and right on down the line. And one day, Jesus Christ was born to one of his descendants, making Naomi, the woman who thought God was through with her, be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. God's not through with you.